You're listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense with your host, Doug Thorpe. Here's Doug. Well, hello again, everyone. This is Doug Thorpe, and you're listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense. As we do often on this show, we're going to take a bit of a journey with an entrepreneur who has uh, had her own struggles getting her business going, learned some valuable lessons, and has some great stories to share about that journey. And uh, that's exactly what we're going to do today. Her name is Barbara Cabness. Barbara, welcome to the show. Thank you, Doug. I'm so happy to be with you today. On a, on a global scale, Barbara and I happen to be what you might call neighbors. Uh, she's in the Austin area of Texas, and I'm down in the Houston area. So for us, it's not a long trek to connect and get back together. And like I said, on a global scale, that uh, makes us next door neighbors. But Practically, uh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So uh, anyway, enough of that. Barbara, tell us a little bit about your background and the business you've got, and more importantly, the journey to get there. And then we'll get into some of those other details. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm actually an East Coast girl, so please don't kick me out. <laughs> but I fell in love with a West Texas boy, which is why we ended up in Austin. But I uh, actually started my career. So uh, I have a degree in psychology from Duke and I uh, played lacrosse while I was there, which really was kind of one of the seedlings, if you will, for my leadership journey. Um, began my career then in advertising uh, and marketing at a political consulting firm in Washington, D.C., um, the work that I did for the agency was largely on the sort of nonprofit grassroots side of things uh, and learned a ton about, you know, how to organize on a shoestring budget and, you know, how important relationships are. Uh, a lot of really great, call it um, foundational learnings, and then parlayed that into uh, a digital marketing agency that focused on the hospitality side of things. And what I loved about the, that transition was digital marketing is really measurable. One of the challenges with other types of marketing is it sometimes can be really difficult to demonstrate value, right? You know, if you can't tie to revenue, if you can't tie to, you know, heads in beds or people walking through your, your storefront door, things like that, uh, it can be difficult as, as a marketer. And so I, I really loved moving into the digital world where everything is so measurable. And that's even more so now. I don't want to say how many years later, but let's call it a few years later. Uh, and so then met my husband in, in Washington and we made the move to Austin uh, and found uh, my now company, uh, which is called Uncommon Logic. We were originally called 360 Partners. Uh, and once I took over as CEO, I carried us through a, a rebrand uh, and I know, kind of haven't looked back since. <laughs> For sure. And, you know, I think um, part of why I was so excited to be on your podcast is literally just the name, this idea of leadership and common sense and the um, inextricable nature of, of those two ideas. I really resonated with that, just thinking of all the things that I've learned, um, both making mistakes as well as being successful. So yeah, I was really excited to get on here and chat with you. Well, you know, it's, uh, if I may camp out on that statement just briefly, uh, because it does come up often. I, I, 
I, I get a little bit of polarization. I get people that say, wow, I love that idea about common sense and learning what it means and how to apply it better. And then I get others that are somewhat offended by it. it, it you know, they go, you're implying I'm not a common sense kind of guy. And I, I'm going, well, the very fact that you're challenging that tells me you're not. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and to me, it can take a lot of forms, right? But I do think there's some cornerstone things, right? Good communication, being consistent, um, you know, it's going to sound really Pollyanna, but, you know, be a person of your word, be someone who follows through. I, I think there are a bunch of kind of cornerstone philosophies or concepts that um, when well executed can work in a lot of different scenarios and, and call them common sense if you like, I would, um, but whatever you call them, use them, right, when you're leading your your team or your organization. Right. Well, and I, I was talking to someone earlier that, who is going to be a future guest on my show, and we were talking about that same thing. And mm -hmm. I said, well, the reason it's important is that one of the core values of leadership is to be able to produce clarity, focus, and vision for your team. And maybe it's not in that order, you know, many would argue you set the vision first and then you have to explain it. That's the clarity part. And then you have to lead it. And that's keeping people focused and moving forward. And the value in that is that to borrow a phrase from the sales guys, a confused mind says no. Oh, I love that. I haven't heard that before, but that's fantastic. But that and applies so to the teams you might be leading. You might think you've got a great vision. You might think you've communicated it well. But if you look out and you feel like your team is sort of treading water and frozen mm -hmm. in place, it's likely because they are confused. Mm -hmm. And their mind has said no so they have chosen to do fundamentally nothing. They don't want to do the wrong thing, but they don't know what the right thing is. So they are poof doing nothing. Yeah. And I also think um, most people want to help. Right. And, and really appreciate when their input is, is considered and, and, and or valued. And, and so I don't necessarily think it follows that, as the owner of, it, of a vision, you have to be the only one thinking about the vision or um, adapting the vision or things like that. I think you can bring your team along in that journey. And, and if anything, you engender greater enthusiasm for it, greater buy-in to why this is the right vision. Um, but I, I so agree. It has to start with clarity. Um, and then, you know, you build from there. So did I hear you correctly in your background story there that, that you joined this company and then were elevated to CEO or were you hired to be the CEO? What, what was the story there? <laughs> yeah, it's a funny story. So I was actually hired because I had so much agency experience, had so much client facing experience. The two founders of our firm basically kind of had a great idea and had grown the firm to the point where they went, oh man, we really have something but we have no idea what it means to build an agency team. So they, they went out looking for a director you know, of operations position and uh, they hired me to do that. And, and actually one of my earliest and best lessons as a leader came in the first you know, 18 months with the company as I was you know, stepping in and trying to build out this team. I had inherited a team and um, well, I failed 
spectacularly as a leader, basically, because I didn't, um, I didn't do what you mentioned, actually, Doug, I didn't have a clear enough and more and a well enough defined vision for this team that I had adopted. And so as I brought more people in, our, our culture just disintegrated, basically, and we had a ton of unhappy employees and some really kind of not great stuff happen. And I have now affectionately named that period, the mutiny on the bounty. <laughs> um, but it was probably one of the top five best leadership lessons I've ever had to, had because what came out of it, you know, one of the questions you asked me uh, was, you know, what's the best leadership advice you've ever gotten? And, and what came out of that was one of the owners who's more like a brother to me now after 13 and a half years, he said, Barbara, the boss is always the a-hole, excuse my language. Uh, and and at the time I kind of looked at him and I was like, what? You know, but I want everyone to like me. You know, I want them to follow me. And what I had to learn through this really painful, I mean, we lost people, we fired people. I mean, we literally had to rebuild the whole team from the ground up. And what I had to learn was, by not having a clear vision, why, by not taking the time and, and in the right ways, defining what was expected and, and reinforcing those things in, in both positive and not negative, but call it firm ways, you know, by worrying about am I well liked? Am I building consensus? You know, I, I screwed it all up. Um, and, and, you know, what he was trying to tell me was not be a, be a jerk, but what he was trying to say is you need to be prepared to not be liked if it's in the service of, of, of the larger vision of what's in the best interest of everyone, right? Clients, team, if, if it's what's right, you know, you don't have to compromise your values, but you have to be unflinching or unwavering once you've committed to whatever the thing is and be prepared to, you know, be unpopular. And I, I you know, I still give him a hard time about that, <laughs> but, but I'm so thankful. And, and, you know, he and his co-founder were incredibly supportive as I sort of learned these hard lessons and rebuilt the team. And, and if anything, you know, our culture as a company is stronger than ever. We, we make the Austin Statesman best places to work. We, I think it's nine years in a row now. And, and because we work every day at it, you know, at, at making sure that, you know, any of the lessons from that time carry forward into who we are and, and reinforce a really strong and, and I think very positive culture. So yeah, not, not an easy lesson to learn, but a really valuable one. So, so you alluded to their in, in foresight to go out and hire somebody that had the bigger agency experience to kind of help take them to the next level. But so what is the structure today in the relationship between you three guys organizationally? What, who's called what? Yeah, well, so now I am the CEO um, because probably about a year after I rebuilt the team and took my licks, I walked into the other co-founder's office and said, I can totally run this company. I should be the CEO, you know, joking around, whatever. And he turns and looks at me and says, great, we should talk about that. <laughs> so about a year later, I took over as as the CEO and they, they now are just uh, co-founders and really board members. Um, you know, they help a little bit with I would say being my my trusted advisors more than anything, but all the day-to-day -day operations of the business are, are now under me and my team. Well, I, I, I presume that's where you were going with it, so that's why I asked, but I, I want to highlight that. I, I think that's a very valuable lesson that for some who may be listening who have struggled with building their business, they've gotten some scale, they've gotten some traction, but they intuitively know there's more. And... Mm -hmm. 
if you're kind of hitting that invisible wall, not knowing exactly the next step, this, this idea of bringing someone in who's got that experience and got that horsepower, so to speak, to maybe take it in a new direction, take it to the next level is, is an incredibly important choice that needs to get made. And I sometimes tell the story reflecting on my banking days. I watched way too many companies crash and burn because the founders didn't make that move. I am very lucky that they are two of the best, kindest, most brilliant men I know, but they know themselves, right? They know what they're good at and what they're not. And, and, the great thing about the three of us is we all play really well off of each other, right? All of us has different strengths, but where we're aligned is our core values, right? If you met these two guys, you'd look at them and me and go, how does that work? But it does. And and as I said, I mean, it's, it's more like working for my big brothers now. I, you know, we drive each other crazy and we, you know, argue about it over, over this, or we agree on that, but it, it really works. And, and, um, we have each other's backs and respect each other and listen to each other. Um, and it's allowed us to grow our business a ton in the last, you know, I've been the CEO for nine and a half years now. Um, and, and we've grown steadily, even through COVID, right? When a lot of businesses really, really got hurt. Our business grew the year, the kind of primary year of COVID, we grew 40% that year. Wow. That, yeah. That's a... That brought some interesting challenges too, but <laughs> congratulations on that, and that's uh, that's that's a great story. But you know, there there's along that line of those two guys as founders making that choice to bring you in, um, or at least bring you in uh, in the first place, but then recognize the possibilities for what they had and make yet another decision to move you into that CEO seat. Um, a part of the lesson there is I've got a good friend who does some really specialized placement for small business and privately held companies. Mm-hmm. And his mantra is he encourages people. If you think you want to grow your business from, let's pick a number, let's say 5 million to 10 million. We'll go out and hire the guy that's already operating at 10. <laughs> Don't hire another 5 million guy. Yeah. You've already done that. You you know how to do that. But go find the the person that has the 10 or the 15 million dollar experience. Bring mm-hmm. them in to help you get there and let them show you how to climb that mountain. I think that's great advice and and you know, I would add another chapter of that which is you know, I think great leaders it's know thyself, right? You you have to know what you're good at and what you're not. And if you're wanting to grow and be successful, you absolutely need to surround yourself with people who fill your gaps, right? If everyone is your same type, your same experience, et cetera, that's the kiss of death. And and if you looked at my senior team, Lord help me when they figure out one day that they're all smarter than I am, because they are absolutely (laughs) some of the best and brightest. And and again, totally aligned in our core values and how we want to be as business people, but different personalities, different experiences, different, you know, all of it, right? Backgrounds, all of that. And and it it is, it's such a multiplier when you do that as a leader. Well, I want to go back in the early chapters of your story. You alluded to playing lacrosse at Duke, and that was kind of the seedling of some of your leadership. What, what were some of the lessons that came out of that experience for you? Oh man, too many to count, right? But, you know, so I was a walk-on actually. I grew up in Delaware. So, you know, East Coast lacrosse for sure was prevalent. Um, 
My dad was actually an All-American at Yale back in the late 60s. So it was definitely in my DNA a little bit. But um, I loved Duke and, and wanted to go to Duke and um, basically got in on my own and then reached out to the coach and said, you know, hey, you didn't think I was going to get in. And now I got in. Would you let me be a walk-on? And she said, OK, and sent me, you know, a phone book, thick, you know, love thing of summer workout. So I ran my booty off all summer <laughs> getting ready to walk on. But but really, it started from being a walk on, right? Nobody knew who I was. They didn't know if I had anything worth, you know, having on the team. So, you know, to me, the first lesson was work hard. And and I do think, you know, I, I learned, um, I coach a high school team now as a volunteer. So I'm around a bunch of teenage girls, which is hilarious in many ways. And, you know, there's exp this expression that young people use now called being a try hard. And, and essentially it comes with this ethos of like, oh, don't be a try hard. And I have no idea why anyone would ever think it's cool to not try hard. So if anyone is listening, be a try hard, right? Amazing thing ha things happen to me in my you know, sports career and subsequently in my professional career, because I worked my tail off and I don't regret being try hard ever. I'm a try hard now. And I'm really proud of that. So that was the first thing is if you want it badly enough, you are willing to work harder than anyone. And I won the coaches award every year I was there. I was a captain my senior year and I wasn't the most talented girl on the field, but I worked my tail off. The other thing is, is I was an includer. I was nice to everyone. I was friends with everyone. And it sounds, again, sort of Pollyanna, but I think more than ever, we need to be includers. Doesn't mean we all have to agree. Doesn't mean that we care about the same things. But I absolutely think that there is a way we can all be inclusive in, in meaningful ways, right? Not just checking a DEI box, but truly value different ideas, value different perspectives, and be the person who brings all of those people together those were probably two of the biggest lessons I learned. Um, and, you know, honestly, the other one is I still pinch myself that I get to say I played lacrosse at Duke and I was the captain. What an incredible honor. Right. And and if you're ever lucky enough, and I feel that way about being a CEO. I mean, we're, we're a 50 person agency. Um, and, you know, I think it's one of the greatest privileges of my life. And I think that if you're really a deserving leader, you never forget that you're lucky to be there. And it's amazing how I think when you bring that energy forward, how much it inspires others, right? If you are not just kind of walking around like the big cheese, but you're walking around like you know how lucky you are to be in that role and how lucky you are to have anyone follow you. Boy, does that get people inspired and wanting to bring their best. So those are probably the, the big three for me. Well, that's very powerful and and thanks for saying that and there are several things that you packed in there that I, I think we ought to talk further about you know the 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 includer idea is great because um you know in modern business the the whole DEI initiative is is puzzling to most there were some tough tough conversations that had to happen in the early stages of covid and and again if you've forgotten it at all, and I don't know how you would have if you were in business, but, you know, we had the George Floyd tragedy and, and those things, and that punched a whole bunch of buttons up and down the corporate leadership chain in, in companies big and small, and challenges were made about how we are going to 
address issues of ethnicity and equality and opportunity and all those things just exploded mm -hmm. and um companies struggled and i i got I'll, I'll be honest i got personally frustrated talking to a lot of my client companies when i heard them say i would ask so how are you addressing this how what's your strategy what's your plan and the word that kept coming back is we're going to lean into the discussion and i thought that's, that's bs man exactly. what does that mean exactly what what actions does that translate into uh, right. I couldn't agree with you more. And, you know, everybody posting on their website, these big statements, and, and I won't pretend that as a leader, I didn't think about, should we be doing something similar? And, and I actually, right, wrong, or indifferent, what I did is I went to my entire company and we, we grieved that horrible, horrible moment. And what for us, what we did is I said, all right, we're not going to put anything on our website, but how do we help? And what we created was what we call the Uncommon Action Committee. And there's a couple components to it. One of them is uncomfortable conversations. So we as a team embrace this idea of if you don't talk about it, you're never going to make progress, right? You're not going to learn from it. You're not going to make it better if you just ignore it because you don't understand it or you're uncomfortable or whatever. We also, the big one for us was, okay, we are not public policy experts. You know, I don't have a PhD in Afro-American studies. I'm not a, a minority, right, other than being a woman. But what I am is I'm a damn good marketer. And I'm someone who cares. And everyone on my team, same thing. And so what we did is we said, okay, we can hold up the megaphone to these companies, or in our case, nonprofit organizations that are founded by minorities doing important things in the business community for minorities, they need our help. We can help them amplify their voices by doing digital marketing, right? The internet is kind of a big deal if you hadn't heard. So what we did is we essentially went out and invited a bunch of nonprofits and we said, we'll do it all for free. We want you to you know, submit a proposal on what you need our help with and why you'd like to work with us and whatever. And we work with some of the most incredible organizations and they're coming to us and saying, you don't know what you've done for us. You've changed. And our response is, are you kidding? You know, this is a, a privilege. It's an honor to serve you. And if you are able to, you know, better fulfill on your mission because of what we're doing, my gosh, how lucky are we to get to be a part of that story? Um, but that was our way of saying, okay, we can't just sit here and cry and feel horrible. Like, I don't, I don't do helpless very well. <laughs> I also don't do sit still very well, which there's the good and the bad of that. And, and again, I, I feel so privileged because everyone on our team was rallying around this. And we have continued that committee. It, it still exists today. There was actually a lunch and learn yesterday about a topic. Um, we're actually trying to figure out how to revamp our sort of grantee or amplification side of it so that we can help more, you know, worthy organizations. Um, but I'm so proud of that. My gosh, I, I hope in another 20 or 30 years, you know, when I look back on my career, that's one of the brightest spots. I can't imagine that it won't be. Yeah, no, that sounds amazing. And what what a great and and I'll add healthy response to to that moment in in our history and um you know, being able to put action around the words and the thoughts and even the emotions is, uh, is I think what it, it's going to take for, for everybody there. 
Uh, Let me ask you the other part of the in in being an includer, and I love that phrase, by the way. That's (laughs) that's one I hadn't heard put quite that way, so thank you for that. One of the other things that came to my mind as you were describing all that is as the leader wanting to be an includer, part of it has to be with genuine empathetic listening. Oh, absolutely. Especially through COVID, right? Everyone had talk about a spectrum of responses, right? Um, you know, fear, disbelief, denial, I mean, all of it. And and that was a was a very polarizing time for our country in a lot of ways. And um, I think most people with sense uh, found that time to be really difficult because I, I, I am a huge believer that um, all ideas are worth considering, right? And, and, and having um, open and honest and empathetic conversations about n- name the topic is absolutely crucial in in life never mind in business uh and and I, I think as as we've moved further and further away from covid and things like that one of the things that i still continue to think about is how do you create a culture of um open listening and open learning right a great idea can come from anywhere whether it's an intern or the ceo or anything in between it doesn't matter where it comes from um, and if you start with listening you know that to me is innately empathetic right rather than just immediately talking or giving your opinion if you stop and as a chatty kathy i have to remind myself sometimes that okay quiet not your turn to talk it's your turn to listen but but i i do think it, it begins with with listening and then um i also you know stephen covey is still one of my favorite business books ever right seek to understand before seeking to be understood and um just all of the, the the ideas that he espoused in that book, I think are such valuable ones for leaders in general, but so many of them I think can create a more um, empathetic environment, right? Stewardship delegation, right? Like teach a man to fish, right? All that kind of stuff I think is how you um, nurture an open and empathetic culture, right? By people being empowered and all that kind of stuff. Right. And, you know, so many of these elements that you're touching on here create this massively interesting patchwork quilt of what you would use to define leadership. Oh, yeah. And there are thousands and thousands of books written on the principles of leadership, and everybody's got a list of of (laughs) what it takes to be a good leader. What I do with my executive clients and business owners, I, I tell them, well, let's start with what you think it is and, and what you value. What have you experienced that you admire and respect mm-hmm. from other leaders? And how many of those will come together in your tapestry of your definition of the leader you want to be? Yeah. And then let's work on that. Let's don't worry about all that other stuff that everybody is is talking about and wanting it's- to sell to you. Yeah. I mean, again, it's know thyself, right? Like I'm, I'm a really passionate person. There is both the great and the not so great about that. And, and my responsibility is to know how to channel that facet of my personality and therefore my leadership style in a really responsible way. I also think that, um, you know, you can't be afraid to talk about what you're not good at and, and what I find is, is, you know, there's a lot of dialogue right now about transparency, 
And I think as a leader, being transparent about what you're good at and what you're not good at, and, and again, surrounding yourself with people who fill your gaps, acknowledging them for their strengths and why it's so critical, um, I think really it just it it, it is such a um a simple way to not only lead effectively, but but be who you are. And right? I think trying to be something you're not is never a good, is never going to lead to good outcomes, right? And, yeah. and it's not, it's going to feel like a, you know, a cashmere sweater in July, right? <laughs> not comfortable. It definitely doesn't. Especially in Texas, well. July. <laughs> right, right. Well, you know, and, and on that, in, in, Cluder idea. I, I'm reminded of a story, and I have told it before here on the show, but I'm going to tell it again. I was doing some teamwork, team exercise with a senior leadership team at one of the big oil companies, and we had done a classic survey of the team to get everybody's ideas on where they thought the team was positioned for effectiveness. And when we got the report, it was this classic. We had this four-box quadrant thing of, of outcomes, and there was this giant cluster of dots up in the upper right quadrant which was great but then there was one guy way over in the bottom <laughs> left you know and, and uh, the uh, senior manager running the team came to me and he said what do you think I ought to do about trying to figure out who this is and I said number one don't do anything don't you you cannot go on a witch hunt you know uh, what you need to do I what I'm going to recommend the next step in our process here we're going to present this book to the whole team and and see if they you know self-discover or self-define and sure enough we got into the meeting <clears throat> and as we opened the books one guy in the corner goes i know everybody's wondering that's me you know and he, he said <laughs> he said i am the contrary and i know i am and then he got a little bit um almost emotional and he said I'm really thinking I probably don't fit on this team. I'm probably the anchor holding you guys back. And I, I think I need to genuinely think about moving on and doing something else, finding something else to do. And I mean, almost on cue, the whole rest of the group, and there were like 14, I think, in the group, they all kind of recoiled in their chairs and they said, no, you can't do that. You, We need you here. Yeah. You are often the one voice that gets us back to center where we need to be. And oh, yeah. please don't think about you know leaving us and we, we value what you're doing. And apparently they had never had that discussion. I love that story. I mean, because I do think, you know, as a leader, it's easy to get stuck in an echo chamber, right? And if you're if you're not a good one, you surround yourself with yes men or yes women. And that's the kiss of death, in my opinion. You have to have the people, you know, close to you who disagree with you. And I mean, to my senior team, I say regularly to them, do not appease me. Do not agree with me. You better come to me and say, hey, Cadmus, I don't know what you're thinking on that, right? You That is their responsibility. And, and they do because they know if they come and say, hey, B, you're wrong. I stop everything. Sit down. Tell me more. Tell me why you think that. What do you think we should do? And, and because they know I respect their inputs so much, they are totally unafraid to tell me when I'm in, I'm being an idiot, and thank goodness, right? <laughs> you know that it's you know it's iceberg ahead, right? Like you want them to tell you that, and so I do think that that you know idea of always having 
differing opinions. The contrarian is so powerful when you're leading a business. Well, it, um, you know, it, 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 it does play out well. And I'm, I'm thinking of the, um, you know, there's a real sort of landmark work that Google did on their high performing teams. And a lot of people point to it. It was the 2018 project Aristotle that they produced and it came out before COVID, which was interesting, but for those who don't know it, they Google was in a quandary that um, for all the work they do, trying to screen and filter and hire the best of the best to be on their payroll, not all teams inside Google perform at the same level. So mm -hmm. there was this earnest and genuine concern. How can that be? We, you know, input you know, what, what do they say? Garbage in, garbage out. Well, they were the contrary. Their, their yeah. idea was we're putting in class A, A plus players and yet all teams don't operate the same. So what's up with that? So anyway, the, the bottom line of the study came out with this runaway winner that they called psychological safety. Yep. This idea of the environment where everybody at every level can speak their mind, they can be heard and they're not judged. They are allowed healthy dialogue about ideas and choices and um, that's what makes people perform better yep and it's the job of the leader to create and consistently reinforce that dynamic of psychological exactly safety. you have the power right anytime you walk into a room with people whose paycheck you sign there, the air is different. The energy is different. All of that, and you have an enormous job in front of you. I think to create that psychologically safe and open environment. And and I think, you know, listening to people, acknowledging, you know, thanking them and recognizing, rewarding when people bring great ideas, especially if it was an idea where they disagreed with you as the leader. Right? If they see you do that and do it consistently, then. You, you know, the energy is different when they're in the room with you. And I, yeah. I think that's so important. Very, very powerful. Yeah. And I, I do get asked that question often, you know, okay, I get it. How do I create it? And I argue that when you read all the narrative off the Google report, what they're really talking about, and I'm going back to my common sense mindset here, what, what they are talking about is good old fashioned trust. Mm -hmm. And you know, people want to feel trusted. They want to trust the boss. They want to trust their coworkers. They want to trust the company. Yeah. And when they have that trust, they will have that psychological safety and they know they can raise their hand and get involved in a discussion without any retribution or penalty for doing so. Yep. And, and it's appreciated. It's genuinely appreciated. So my, my argument from a practical standpoint, people ask me, okay, I get that. How do I do that? And my simple answer back is, well, think about what trust means to you. Think about it on a very personal level. Mm -hmm. How did you create trust with your spouse or your significant other or the people you hold really close in your life? Well, you kind of went through a process of asking each other questions. Yep. You know? And then commitment and consistency. Right. right. Commitment to delivering consistently on what your answers were. Right. right. That's right. And and as you build that environment of, of having the forum open for those questions to get answered and to your point, acted upon appropriately, consistently and reliably, 
that level of trust starts to bubble up and, and all of a sudden everybody's able and willing to operate at that higher level. Yeah. One of the concepts that I love is the idea of the emotional bank account. Yeah. Right? We're all making deposits and withdrawals regularly in all of our relationships, right? Colleagues, clients, personal life, all of that. And you got to know whether or not the thing you just did or said was a deposit or a withdrawal. And unfortunately, it's a two for one, right? For every one you put in, you take out two and you screw something up, unfortunately. But yes. yeah, I think yeah. it's critical uh, to be aware of that. Lou Holtz, you probably know him, right? Yeah. Famous football coach. One of the things that he said when he was giving a talk a million years ago now, he talked about you know the player-coach relationship and how you as the coach have to recognize that anytime you're talking to a player, that player is asking himself or herself three questions. And you need to know the answer to these three questions. And it's, do you care about me? Can I trust you? And are you committed to excellence? And it's kind of a, a riff on what you were just saying, Doug, but I share that you know story with my, my leaders. And my challenge to them is if you aren't sure that the answer to those three questions with the people that you manage is yes, then you haven't built the right kind of trusting relationship with them and go get to work, right? Go learn more about them. Go ask more questions so that you understand what building a trusting relationship with them looks like. I love that. I'll, I'll have to go back and look up. I'm, I'm, I really like Lou Holtz and his homespun humor about things. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I really miss him on his Saturday commentaries. I guess he gets in every once in a while, but yeah. Uh, no, great guy. Well, Barbara, I'll tell you what, we're about up on time and this has been great. And thank you so much. If people would like to reach out and get in touch with you directly, what's the best way for them to do that? Absolutely. So obviously LinkedIn, uh, our company, as I mentioned earlier, is Uncommon Logic. So it's uncommonlogic.com. Absolutely welcome the chance to talk with anybody. I'm a big dork when it comes to digital marketing. So Happy to talk about that. But the other thing, obviously, is I'm really passionate about the leadership and the people side and the culture side of, of running a business. So, yeah, love to hear from anyone who wants to be in touch. And uh, thank you, Doug. This was a, a privilege to be with you today. Well, again, I really appreciate it. And, and your enthusiasm for the commitment to quality leadership surely shines through. And I, I commend you for that. Um, thank you. You know, that puts you quite, if I may say so, it puts you in some rarefied air. You know, a lot of people have moved into those roles. Either they've created the company to allow themselves to do it, or they they have been hired in, they've been promoted up, and obviously that's usually what happens in the bigger companies. But not everybody really connects and, and, and gets it, and it takes a very long and sometimes painful journey to get them there. So um, yeah. uh, kudos to you for. Thank you. Well, my work isn't done, right? I, I think if you're a good leader, you know, you're never done learning and growing and Absolutely. getting better at it. It is, it is a lifelong journey and that constant yeah. effort for improvement. And, you know, back to your lacrosse message, you know, working hard and knowing what the next uh, requirement may be and the next level of success that you want to shoot for. Yeah. Always good. Yeah. Well, good thank stuff. Thank you, Doug. All right, Barbara. Thank you. And with that, folks, we're going to sign off. I do like to remind everybody we have a video version of this show over on YouTube, channel by the same name. Hop over there, take a look at the video, and uh, uh, subscribe. Give us a like, thumbs up, thumbs down, whatever. But uh, I'd love your comments and feedback so that we can continue to attract great guests and 
answer the questions you're really looking for to break things down for your own common sense solutions. So thanks for listening. We'll see you again real soon. You've been listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense, hosted by Doug Thorpe. If you would like to know more about the coaching and advisory services he provides, visit DougThorpe.com.